MySafeLA is the public education partner of the Los Angeles Fire Department. You're listening to a MySafeLA Fire and Life Safety Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Cameron Barrett, the Education Director for MySafeLA, and you are tuned to another MySafeLA Fire and Life Safety Podcast. We're talking about earthquake today, and there's a good reason for that after the 5.1 in La Habra and the 8.2 in Chile. A lot of us are thinking about earthquakes, and we are fortunate to be joined today by Kate Long, who works for the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services. She's the earthquake deputy there, also the earthquake and tsunami program chief. And uh, I'm just so happy to have you on the line, Kate. I love chatting with you. I always have fun conversations with you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Uh, So um, 8.2 in Chile just a couple of days ago. And uh, there are a lot of there's a lot of talk of tsunami there. I think a lot of us in Southern California don't know a lot about tsunami, so perhaps we should start there, talk about the risks of tsunami in our area, and what we need to know about it. Well, you know, in Southern California, our risk for tsunami is a little bit different than it is in Chile or in you know far northern California and Washington and Oregon or in eastern Japan. All those areas have a subduction zone under the ocean just off the coast, and those can cause large waves which would arrive in minutes. Here in Southern California, we're much less likely to have that type of event. If we have a very strong shaking off the coast, we could have some underwater landslides, which would cause could cause localized tsunami in a very small area. But we're never, or let me just say almost never, expected to see something that would be like the Japan tsunami. That doesn't mean we don't have a threat. We do. And it's really important to know if you live in an inundation zone or not. And there's an easy way to find out. You can go to myhazards.ca.gov or just type in myhazards in your browser. And then you can type in your address or the address where you live, work, or play and find out what kinds of hazards you face at that address. Not just tsunami, but are you near a fault? Uh, Are you in a high fire hazard zone? Are you in a flood zone? And that site also has information about what to do in all of those cases. So if we go to that particular site, Kate, we can find out where perhaps our evacuation uh, zones are, where where is best for us to head to. Yeah, at, at the MyHazard site, you'll be able to see a map that shows where the maximum inundation zone is. That means worst-case scenario, if a tsunami were to come on shore, are you in danger of being inundated? Uh, you know, are you in danger of getting wet? Uh, and not every tsunami would hit every part on that zone. That just gives you, if you're in any kind of danger from any tsunami, in most cases, uh, tsunamis often come to California, but don't even come inland. That doesn't mean they cause, don't cause damage. They cause damage in the harbors and the ports, and we tell people to stay off the beaches. The thing to know is most tsunamis are going to come here from a distance. There are going to be some hours between the earthquake and the arrival of a wave here. For instance, if the tsunami that was generated by the Chile earthquake had made it to California, it would have come to Southern California about 5 in the morning. And that was from the earthquake was about 9 in the evening. So local officials would have um, initiated evacuation procedures. But knowing if you're in a zone or not makes you know whether you need to walk inland or whether you're out of the zone and you can stay put. So go to my hazards, 
or go to just type in tsunami in California. There are several sites that show the state's tsunami inundation maps. Find out if you're in the zone, and then you can call your local city government and find out where the evacuation sites and evacuation locations are. But really, it's important to just go uphill or inland. You want to be about a, a hundred feet up or two miles inland if you're in a very flat place. Tsunami. Who'd have ever thought? Uh, we do think a lot about about the earth shaking, though, around these parts, and uh, it did so uh, back on Friday. A five point well, you know, one in La Habra. It's uh, earthquake is a very common threat here. Tsunamis could happen, and we need to know about them. But earthquake is really what we live with. It's what we exchange for living in such a beautiful, wonderful place as Southern California. So. Everybody needs to know how to care for themselves and take care of themselves and their family uh, during an earthquake. It's just it, we live in earthquake country. If we lived in Maine, we'd we'd have winter coats. <laughs> exactly, that's a great way to think about it. You're right. We don't need yeah, we don't need snow boots in Los Angeles, but we do need um, preparedness items in our home so that we can you know be safe and fed. And okay for at least 72 hours after an earthquake. Can you talk a little bit about that, Kate? Well, you know, I think it's important to think about what you would do if you had to camp at your house. Because uh, if you think of it that way, you don't want to have to go to a shelter after strong shaking. Perhaps there's no utilities. Perhaps you're wondering if your house is safe. You've had a lot of broken glass in the house. And so you might want to be able to just get outside your house but not have to go to a Red Cross shelter. And that's what that kit is for. And we say at least 72 hours because if it's a big earthquake, if it affects a wide area of California, it'll be more time-consuming for us to get supplies in and water in to help everyone. So the longer you can stay self-sufficient, particularly water, I actually keep two weeks of water just because I know people are, my neighbors are going to be coming to my house. Uh, (laughs) We live in a dry area, and once the water's out, that's the number one thing you need. So uh, one of the things I think is really important is to have enough water. Certainly, the other thing is to have the kinds of things you finally might want if you were camping or sheltering in place. If if your kids hate pork and beans, don't put them in your emergency kit, uh, that kind of thing. Really think about what you might need. Uh, emergency uh, medications, for instance, copies of your prescriptions in case you do have to, have to evacuate. Those are the kinds of things that will get you through the response period. And I think it seems for a lot of people like, oh, what a lot of work, or I don't have this space. And so I just recommend, you know, when you go to the store, buy one thing each time, extra batteries for your flashlight, uh, an extra pair of reading glasses to keep in the car, uh, you know, different kinds of things that, that are not just for earthquakes. They're contingency planning that you might use more often. Another thing is we're all a little bit prepared without having done it just for the earthquake. If your water heater is strapped and braced so it doesn't fall over in the earthquake, you have 40 gallons of water right there. Right, right. I think a lot of folks uh, forget about that. You know, we we live in a time when so many things are automated, so many things are just there that we forget. We forget to be, uh, well, engineers of a sort. Um, be clever. Think about these kinds of things. Learn about them. There's tons of places to learn that, not just mysafela.org, but um, I know that the uh, the governor's office 
um, of emergency services. So a lot of those tips aren't we, right, we do. And you know what? Uh, My Hazards is a great site because that will link you to ways to be uh, prepared and to be uh, – but the other places are shakeout.org has great information. You know, that's where we try to get everybody to practice once a year because we want everybody to have that muscle memory of what to do. Uh, earthquakecountry.org is a great site. Uh, or you can just type in uh, seven steps and seven steps and earthquake we have seven steps that will prepare you to survive and recover from the earthquake because that's all we all want. We want to be able to get through the shaking and get our lives back on track. And the steps are this. One of the things you want to do is secure your space because a lot of the injuries that happen after an earthquake aren't from buildings falling in. Those are quite unusual. It's really from non-structural or what we call non-structural hazards. Uh, You know, your bookcase falling over, uh, the grandma's china from the top shelf bonking somebody in the head. There are things you can do, simple, cheap things, which will not only make you safer in your house during earthquake shaking, but also you want to have grandma's punch bowl later. You don't, it's not something you can replace. You want to have your TV later. You don't want to have to buy another one. So strapping down big appliances and moving things down from high shelves can make a big difference, not only in, you know, in your the first few hours in keeping you safe, but also in how soon you can get back to normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the number one injury. Let's let's stick with um, these seven steps. They're so imperative. Um, and and talking about securing your space, the number one injury after an earthquake that uh, folks showing up in emergency rooms are cut feet, and and that's really uh, serious stuff. That uh, not was just true. Infection, but you got to walk right. Well, that was true after Northridge. The number one injury that uh, people appeared with at emergency rooms was glass in their feet because they ran out of the house, which is, you know, kind of a response that people do automatically. You know what I do? I have a pair of tennis shoes, an older pair of tennis shoes, and I have them by my bed, and I have them tied to the bed leg, and I have a pair of glasses and my car keys in them. What so, a smart idea. I never heard about tying them to the bed frame. Well, That's brilliant. Know, somebody suggested that to me because if things shake around a lot and it's dark. Um, so a flashlight, your car keys, for me, glasses, and tennis shoes so I can get out of the house without cutting my feet. Um, I also have an emergency kit uh, that I keep near the door, and that's in case I have to evacuate quickly. Uh, And that just has the things I would need immediately if I couldn't go back to my house. I have a little thumb drive that has a, a copy of my papers, you know, my my insurance information, things like that. Uh, I have, you know, a toothbrush. Um, I have a rain poncho. I have some water and some protein bars. Uh, just if I had to leave quickly, um, and that could be because of fire or, you know, for any reason, uh, and certainly that kind of a kit is really important if you live in a tsunami evacuation zone. So securing your space, having that kit available, there's two of our seven steps. What are the other ones listed? Well, you know, planning to be safe is kind of almost the most important thing because we all want to reunite with our families. So having an idea of with, uh, have talked to your children about if there's a fire, where will we meet? A local meeting place. We'll meet across the street in, you know, Mrs. Johnson's front yard. Uh if you're at school, where will we meet you? With your 
partner, he maybe works, my husband works out in Ontario. We have uh, an agreement if he has to evacuate south, where we'll try to reunite, we'll, we'll try to reunite. If I have to go north, where we'll try to reunite. That's important. Everybody in the family having a common phone number of somebody out of state. Now, phones might be down immediately, but eventually when they come up, long-distance phones come up before local phones because the local infrastructure may be damaged. So, you know, the I, other thing that happens with phones is cell towers are, are either going to be jammed or perhaps knocked down in a very severe earthquake. And so your mobile phone might not work for calls, but data might still work. Do you talk to people about texting? Well, I think if you are anxious to try to reach people immediately, text is more likely to go through than than a voice phone. However, mm-hmm. We don't even know if that will go through if it's super crowded. So if you do need to reach some immediately, someone immediately, please text. But mm-hmm. be aware you might not be able to reach anybody immediately, and you're going to feel much more confident and calm if you and your family have talked about how to reunite and have talked about where the important emergency supplies are. You know, there's a lot of information. If you go to, uh, if, if you type in seven steps to earthquake safety, you'll get a lot of information about how to make a plan. Uh, Red Cross also has great information about how to make a plan. And you know what? It's it's not about having this, you know, binder. It's about sitting down at the dinner table every night and saying, hey, what would we do if, if there were a fire? What would we do if there were an earthquake? And talking about it with the family, because making those decisions together, um, Make sure that everybody understands, everybody agrees, and really it's just going to give you a peace of mind to have had those conversations with the people you love. You know, it's a great thing to also remember that plans can change, um, and that's a really important element too. I mean, just because you made a family escape plan when the kids were three and five and now they're teenagers <laughs> doesn't mean that escape plan uh, shouldn't be revisited and repracticed. Can you talk about practicing? Well, I mean, when know, do you we- practice your escape plan, Kate? Well, you know, we use ShakeOut every year, and we use uh, the first of the year, New Year's Day. New Year's Day, we change the battery in our in our smoke detectors. Uh, we change the water in our barrels of water that we keep. Uh, we happen to keep two 55-gallon drums of water uh, outside the house. But as I said, that's just because we know the neighbors know we're emergency managers, and they're going to come to our house. Um, so we use those opportunities, but what we haven't done recently, and we sort of did with some friends as a competition in our neighborhood, is we all said, what if you had half an hour to get out of the house? What if you had 15 minutes to get out of the house? What would you what would you bring? And then we all, you know, ran around, and frankly, a lot of the couples, you know, argued furiously. Uh, and then we all <laughs> ended up in our front yards, and we saw what everybody ended up getting out in within 15 minutes, I think, was our uh, limit. And then we had a barbecue. So it was fun, because I think making it fun helps, especially if you have kids. And also, it who are the people who you're going to depend on in an emergency? It's really your neighbors. So doing it as a group, it gave us all a chance to talk about it. You know, Southern Californians are not known for uh, being tight with their neighbors. So this is a great way to kind of break that stereotype and, and get to know the folks that live next door. Well, you know, talking to your neighbors makes you safer every day. You know, having somebody say, hey, did you see those people? Or, you know, does Cameron... I thought she was out of town. Who's that guy in her front yard? 
talking to your neighbors and knowing your neighbors helps you every day. So trying to have a reason, you know, a block party, uh, just have everybody bring your own coffee cup and talk about is there anybody in the neighborhood that has special needs? Uh, We have a lady in the neighborhood who is elderly and alone, so we know we're going to need to check on her. but she's home all the time, so she's always watching the neighborhood for us. It, it really helps if you if you can meet your neighbors, and and that is, as you say, an ongoing thing because people move. Yeah, you know, another part of our family are, are pets, um, and and that has to be part of your plan. I think uh, folks often pack that kit uh, and forget to include water for their pets, food for their pets, medication. And uh, making them part of the uh, the uh, plan as well. Do you have pets, Kate? Do you plan for that? I do. I have a cat and a dog, and they have their own kits. And they <laughs> uh, and actually, frankly, I purchased those kits. Most kits I make myself, but I was feeling a little guilty uh, that um, that I hadn't didn't have good kits for my pets. And so uh, for for Christmas last year, I bought myself uh, pet kits, and I have also. Um, foldable cages for them, you know, little carrying cages that are mm-hmm. that fold up. Uh, because if you do go to a shelter, many shelters aren't designed to keep pets, so you really need to be able to contain your pet because, you know, we love our pets. We're going to leave them behind only in the most dire of circumstances. How very true. How true. I love those stickers that um, the uh, uh, pet shelters in your area or um, all kinds of organizations, actually. My vet gave me a sticker that says, in case of emergency, please rescue my pets. In case, you know, you're away from your home when, when a disaster strikes, you can put that sticker in your, in your window, and they know that, you know, there's a pet, a, a loved pet in there that needs help. I was at my nephew's house uh, apartment, actually, recently, and a, a neighbor had one of those on their door. So in the apartment, that somebody would be aware that there were pets in the place. Yeah, I mean, we do have to leave them at home. Very few of us can bring them to work. Um, which is something that we should be working to change, but obviously you and I are pet lovers, so that's uh, that's uh, foremost in our minds. Um, I, I always suggest to people to look into CERT, the Community Emergency Response Teams. The training is free in the city, and that's all about neighbors helping neighbors, isn't it? Well, you know, it's it's a, that's another great way to meet neighbors, and also. There are so many things. We're so used to having wonderful, reliable emergency services here in Southern California. We we have great emergency services. We have the fire department's wonderful. We have mutual aid that helps if there's a, a big event. But in a in a big regional disaster, there just won't be enough responders to come immediately. Uh, we have so many things in place, the state, the federal government, mutual aid, everything will rush to support us after a big earthquake. However, that doesn't mean there won't be an extended period when my house not might not be the first house people get to. And CERT is a great way to not only have more confidence about what you can do during a disaster, but have a experience with your neighbors about how to organize so that you can do the things that need to be done for each other. You know, move the piano that has fallen on top of Mr. Smith. Um, Organize who's got water, who's got food. Uh, Fight small fires if you need to. You know, everybody should know how to use a fire extinguisher. That's one of the things they teach in CERT. And plus, it's really kind of fun. I felt very empowered by taking CERT. 
I do too. Every time I, you know, I, uh, I recertify in, in CPR or first aid, it kind of gives you a little confidence boost. It's great. Well, and you're not going to be able to, in the moment of a disaster, you're not going to be able to, you know, look up or remember how to do CPR. It's something you're going to have to have physically practiced. Same thing mm-hmm. with drop, cover, hold on. Our natural reaction in a disaster is not necessarily to do that. And if you've physically practiced it, then you'll have the muscle memory to do it. You're not going to have to think about it. You'll just do it. And the reason we ask people to drop, cover, hold on is, as I said, the number one hazard are things falling on you. You want to protect your head and neck, protect your vital organs. And so getting under something sturdy or next to something sturdy, uh, if you're if there's not a table or something to get under, um, that's a way to protect yourself because you can't do all the recovery stuff if you know it, it, unless you get through the shaking. Let, let's um, let's pull ourselves back. We we kind of drill down into the individual uh, things that we can do as as Southern Californians to make sure that uh, we're resilient. But let, let's pull back and, and take a look at the region, at the community, and then the regional level. Um, we always hear about devastating earthquakes in Turkey, Pakistan, Haiti, where thousands of people are killed. Um, and we always say, well, that's not going to happen in Southern California. We have better preparations, better building codes, we better emergency services, better everything. That's never going to happen here. But are we kidding ourselves? You know, we do have better emergency services here. And there will be times when our capacity is exceeded. Um, the way it works, of course, is that your local fire departments, your local police departments, and emergency managers deploy to respond to a disaster. There's wonderful mutual aid. So if it's a if it's a relatively small area that's badly damaged, say the Northridge earthquake, terrible damage, but there but Orange County and Ventura County could come to our assistance. If it's a regional disaster, that means the mutual aid resources, the state and federal resources, are all going to marshal to help us, but they're not going to be able to get here immediately. So even though we do have a better situation, we still have to be prepared ourselves to sort of bridge that gap. We also have better building codes and better buildings. For most of us, if you live in a wood frame home, your home is pretty likely to come down in most earthquakes. So the issue is your your home may not be able to be re-inhabited if it's badly damaged, but people's fear that every earthquake is go, every building is going to collapse is not necessarily accurate. There will be some buildings that come down depending on the shaking. So you want to look at your home. Uh, if it's a wood frame single residence, there's many things you can do. Um, just bolting your home, uh, strengthening the cripple walls under your home will make a big difference. If you live in other types of buildings or in an apartment, um, try to find out from your landlord when the building was built, uh, whether it's bolted to the foundation. Uh, if you live in a brick building, it should have been retrofitted. So hopefully um, you can ask your landlord if your building has been retrofitted. Um, but really, if you're inside, stay inside, get low, get under something sturdy, uh, and then once the shaking is stopped, assess your situation, and then you can go outside. Uh, now, if you're downtown and it's uh, you're among many tall buildings with tall glass, you may assess the situation and decide to stay inside. 
Now, this is something that I think seems so counterintuitive to a lot of folks that are not in emergency services professions. The first thing that people want to do is get the heck out of the building that they're in because they, of course, think that it will come down. That's kind of the, uh, the stereotype that we see uh, when we see disaster movies or we, or we see news coverage of, of, of earthquakes is these crumbled, destroyed buildings that have fallen and trapped people inside. Uh, but it's actually very counterintuitive. Um, you, what you most often, especially in Southern California, want to do is, is stay inside, don't you? Well, the thing is people are more likely to be injured statistically the more they try to move during earthquake shaking because trying to run when the earth is shaking pretty violently can throw you down. Mm. So really if if you are if you have time if it starts to shake and it's not shaking so badly that you can't move my recommendation would be that you get low first get low so you don't get knocked down and then if you're near a big window try to you know crab crawl away but but you really want to get low so you're stable. Um if you're near a big bookshelf, if you're um, if if you're near something that might fall on you, you do want to try to get away from it if you can. But to try to run away from it is is potentially dangerous. So get low. When we say drop, that's the first thing. If you can, take cover and hold on to that cover. Uh, if you can't get under something, then just protect your head and neck with your arms. Uh, if you're in a wheelchair and you um, can't get down. Set your brake and protect your head and neck to the best of your ability. Um, if you're in a supermarket aisle, it's I'd say get low, get next to it, and be prepared. You you may get some things may fall on you, but trying to run when there's things falling and things in the aisle is not necessarily safer than just trying to make yourself a small target and wait the shaking out. You know, I, I get a lot of questions, especially from children, saying, "What if I'm outside?" Yes, I think if you're outside, same thing. You hopefully want to move away from anything that could fall on you. So if you can get to a an open area where you're not under falling hazards. So uh, if you're under, say, power wires, if you can move, great. But really it's about assessing your situation for all of us. You have to say, can I, can I move? You may not be able to move. It may be shaking violently. If it's not shaking violently... You may be able to, as I said, uh, crab crawl away, uh, or you may be able to take a few steps before you get low. But you never know how big an earthquake is going to be. Um, did you see the news during the 4.1 when uh, Chris and Megan on Channel 5 yeah, uh, yeah. got under their desk, which was great? And there's it was been terrific. a lot of you know, comedy about Chris's face, but they did the right thing because you never know when it starts to shake how bad it's going to get. And the time to protect yourself is before you find out whether it's violent shaking or not. Don't wait till oh, it starts yeah. shaking violently. When you first start to feel it, look around, make a choice about what's the safest thing to do, and take quick action. So uh, another question I get asked all the time, and it's such a wonderful Southern California question. We spend um, too much time, I think, in our cars. What if it strikes and we're driving? Well, you know, often people in cars don't realize don't that, even know. that it's an earthquake. <laughs> yeah. They think yeah. that there's something wrong with the car or they've gotten a flat tire. But if you realize that it's that an earthquake is happening, you want to just pull over to the side of the road, 
put it in park and stay in your car. It's actually a relatively safe place. If you're on a bridge or under an overpass, get off the bridge or under uh, or, or off the overpass if you can. But it is truly your car is a, a pretty safe cocoon, isn't it? Well, I think that it just follows that same logic that the more you try to move the the less safe you are you certainly don't want to get out of your car because say if you're in a parking lot cars may jiggle and and bump into each other if you're in your car you're safer than if you're out of your car um finally uh to wrap things up i just i don't want to say you know be afraid prepare now but <laughs> you should probably tell folks um the ground is shaking. We've had a couple of significant earthquakes here, and now Chile's just had a very significant earthquake. And um, when it comes to plate tectonics, everything affects everything else. We're in the ring of fire here. Um, we really need to be uh, tuned to the possibility of another earthquake uh, very soon, don't we? Well, we live in earthquake country. We don't know exactly when damaging earthquakes are going to strike or where, but we know they're coming. It's just part of living here. And there's a lot we can do now that will make our lives so much better when the earthquake comes. And so if we just make it part of our lives that we, you know, we take the steps we can, have a kit in your car, you know, keep your kit refreshed at home, make a plan with your families, secure your stuff. And then, you know, when I sit down in a restaurant, I look where the exits are. I'm not going to run during an earthquake, but I'm going to want to know where they are. I have a flashlight in my purse. Uh, And actually, a teenager just showed me that my my, um, iPhone is also a flashlight. That shows you how (laughs) if I am today, uh, today's technology. But I'm very excited to know that my iPhone is a flashlight, too. Um, At any rate, there's so much you can do that will make you have the peace of mind and confidence to know that when the earth does shake, you're going to be as red as you you can be. EarthquakeCountry.org, uh, that's a great place to go. My Safe LA is another great website. There's so much we can do, a little at a time, so we have the confidence to get our lives back, which is what we all want. Kate Long, the uh, Earthquake Deputy for the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services, thanks so much for joining us here on the My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety Podcast. As always, it was a blast talking to you, Kate. My pleasure, Cameron. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to a MySafeLA Fire and Life Safety Podcast. MySafeLA is the public education partner of the Los Angeles Fire Department. Visit us at MySafeLA.org and LAFD.org.